Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Listening, hear me. I may not pass this way again. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with exec producer at BBC Studios Audio, Pete Strauss. You can find out more about me and the projects I'm working on, including my music and acting endeavours, at robertlanemusic.co.uk and on social media as Robert Lane Music. It would be fantastic if you could rate, review and subscribe to the podcast, as doing that helps more people to discover it in the future. It's also very useful when I'm talking to potential new guests, as it shows that people are listening. Thank you. Hi Pete, how are you? Robert Lane, hello. I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well as well. Thank you. Um, <laughs> although you were just telling me, potentially, you're not amazingly well as you might be. What's the reason for this? Yeah, I, yeah, I went to... I, I don't want to make it sound like this is a regular occurrence for your listeners. But no. I went to an award ceremony last night and we lost, so we drowned our sorrows. Well, you know, 100% of the time I've spoken to you, you went to an award ceremony and got drunk. So that's, you know... That the, yeah, that's the impression everyone's going to have of me. <laughs> this is like a frequent occurrence in my life. It's weird at award ceremonies because you, for the most part, like you don't like you're. I'm not too bothered about them, and like it's nice to be recognised, but you don't don't like seek that validation. And then you go to the ceremony, and you want nothing else other than to win. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then as soon, it's like a spell comes over you because as soon as you leave, like it, it doesn't affect your day. Like it's completely fine, but for that hour and a half when you're there and you're waiting for your category, it's and also they did a um they do like bronze, silver, gold, right? Um, great. So like you go, okay, it's not bronze, that's fine because you know it might be silver, gold. Oh, it's not silver. Oh my god, we've won it! And then you've either got gold or won nothing, <laughs> and that's what happened to us. Wow. Um, Have you been on yeah. the other side of it then when you've you've won stuff and does it feel as good? comparatively as good as not winning it feels bad um i have won i won a i can't remember the name of the awards i won an international format best international format for mm. a tv show i created called um the stand-up sketch show alongside um matt campion and uh yeah it feels like you get a moment of like oh there we go and like it is a moment though, because yeah. you, you, yeah, maybe like thirty minutes later you've forgotten, and it doesn't mean anything. And then I don't know, maybe it'd feel different if it was like a BAFTA or an Oscar or like something that like a Grammy, something that people have heard of. But when it's like you've got to explain what the award is to people, maybe it, <laughs> it doesn't doesn't give you the thrill that you know otherwise might. Well, that's an interesting point then, actually. So something that I struggle with a bit in my career sometimes is is what I loosely term kind of like validation. So you can be doing work and all the time. But my friend Minnie Birch is a musician, has this thing about when she got in the Times newspaper for her album or when she was on Radio 1, her granddad could understand that. <laughs> Whereas so much of the rest of what we do as performers or as creatives, if you're not in that world, perhaps it doesn't mean that much. So have you found that? I mean, your job title on Twitter at the moment is executive producer at BBC Studios. Audio, so so that to an outsider would be like, oh, yeah, we under, can kind of understand what that means compared to perhaps other positions that you've had. Have you found that like it's just easier if it's got the 
three letters BBC in it to explain what it is? I think so. Yeah, particularly for like parents, mm. like it's much easier to explain. Like I executive producer at the BBC, and like that, you don't need to do too much there. But like I worked before working at um, joining the BBC, I worked at a company called Spirit. Mm. and uh like great company and stuff but like you have to do so much more explaining of <laughs> like oh this is what the job is but like and before that i worked at comedy central i was just an intern at comedy central but as soon as you like having that name recognition of the company you work for it does feel like a shorthand so you don't have to go right i'm head of development at this company called spirit and what that means is i do this i do that but like yeah so it's kind of yeah i do get like a little bit of like a Oh, yeah, that is a cool job. <laughs> you don't have to do too much explaining to it. Great. But then do some explaining for us then. So what does an executive producer at BBC Studios Audio do? What what does that actually entail? Um, lots of things, really. So um, it's I've got a few producers that I manage. So it's three people I manage. Um, they have all their own separate projects um so part of it is overseeing their work looking through any scripts that get sent through listening to the edits giving them notes that's a large part of the job um it's a bit of producing itself so um just did a, a sitcom pilot for radio 4 produced a lot of the now show and stuff like that um it's reading scripts it's developing ideas it's pitching stuff Mm. it's line management it's it's a bit of everything it's it's a really good job you you get to you know I, I, i do marvel sometimes that like i wasn't like a naughty kid in school but like i'd mess around and tell lots of jokes and like and teachers would tell you like stop messing around and you go like no that's kind of my job now (laughs) those instincts were actually right um and the thrill when like you write a good joke or come up with a joke or read a good joke is like there's nothing else like it when you get that joke and you're like oh my god like it's it's the best part of the process where you're like that's so exciting we've did it like no one said that joke before that is so good um i like it a lot it's a good job it sounds an amazing job, to be honest. That's really mm. cool. And tell us then a bit of your history that led up to there. You mentioned a couple of the other places that you've worked. Yeah. So um, I was working in, I did a bit of TV production when I first started out and worked on uh, a lot of shows. None of them were comedy related. It was stuff like uh, the sex education show I worked on for a bit. And I worked on a film about Man City and it was just bits and bobs that like I was at Endemol and it was just like oh we've got a runner contract here like do you want to do that do you want to do that um from there moved into post-production just kind of fell into it I didn't really have any desire to be an editor and still don't I was doing okay like it was going fine but like ultimately wasn't like everyone was nice and my bosses are very nice but like I always wanted to be in comedy so I applied for an internship at Comedy Central, um, which was great, but like really intense. Like the interview process, which I didn't realize before I turned up, was like uh, it was like an interview day, mm. and uh, there was twelve of us there. Mm. So like you're all in one position, so you're all like competing against each other, and you had to do three tasks. You had to write a like BuzzFeed style list of like, do you remember those like thirty five reasons? 
friends is the best show ever yeah you had to write one of them you had to come up with an idea for a sketch show and there was another task i can't remember and in between that you had to do an interview with uh the head of commissioning the head of the website and hr and it was such like an intense process for like great job paid very little like like, because it's such like a scarcity of opportunities like that that people will jump through all of those hoops to like make it happen um so i was there for a bit i was there for about a year and then moved to a company called spirit um when my boss at company central moved to them and then kind Mm -hmm. of brought me over worked my way up the ranks of spirit and um as in a development department and um they were making trigger happy at the time with Dom jolly they were bringing that back um so i started helping out with bits on that and then because i was a development part department of well two me and my boss matt um we just we pitched comedy ideas and then that became my life uh and then yeah, I used to make podcasts there, created and I was writer on a show, a stand-up sketch show, um, wrote a sitcom pilot starring Ramesh Ranganathan. Um, yeah, it became all-consuming comedy and then moved on to the BBC. It's kind of, it's all, there's no, it's like a kind of unconventional way round, but like it's hard to tell, there's no one route to get into any of these positions. There's sure. no like, if you do this, do this, do this, do this, you can yeah. get there. It is a lot of it is just luck and like being in the right place at the right time and pitching the right idea and meeting the right people. It's yeah. And how much was that hustle then? Would you say? I mean, obviously, applying for positions is <coughs> is one thing, but is it also keeping an eye out? And if you meet someone who could be doing something interesting, you're keeping in touch when an idea comes up, or is it being much more um, less less designed than that? It's just kind of happened. Um, probably somewhere between the two. Mm. It's never been like that. Some people have like a set of like, I want to achieve this thing. I want to achieve this thing. I want to achieve this thing. I want to do that. And all I <clears throat> ever really had was I want to work in comedy, mm. but like I didn't know in what capacity. I didn't know if I want to write it, produce it, direct it. Like I was never, I never had any. Like I was just like I just want to be there with funny people. Was a, that was the only aspiration. Um, so it wasn't too much design, to be honest. It kind of luck, like, and a certain amount of hustle. Like, you know, there is, like, you know, emailing people and making sure they remember your name and yes. being nice to people. And it's, it's, I mean, it's luck. And, like, I don't think I'm, like, completely talentless. So it's a mixture of luck and working hard <clears throat> and being nice and having a little bit of talent, I think, has, <laughs> got me here hopefully well that's a really interesting point actually because you know unless someone's really amazing if they're a complete arsehole it's very hard to work with them isn't it like they'd have to be a fucking genius to put up with that and likewise Mm. if someone's nice and you can enjoy their company and and is i mean a lot of what you do i think it sounds like it's a very collaborative role as well so the ability to collaborate collaborate the ability to talk the ability to collaborate must be very important amongst that as well and that's not something that everybody can do i suppose is that something that's very natural for you or is it a skill that you've developed um i think like, <clears throat> i've that point before like there are like sometimes you do meet people that are difficult to work with mm. um not too often i think that's like often when you talk to someone that doesn't 
work in this industry and are often asked like who's an asshole mm. and like i've not encountered loads um and i don't think there's i think the idea of like you've, you've got to be an arsehole to create something good that kind of tortured artist thing is like a fallacy i don't think that's true like loads of people are lovely and create wonderful stuff and i think working collaboratively is everything like very like very few shows are written by one person mm-hmm. just in isolation doing the writing the directing the producing by themselves you need like like making comedy is collaborative by its nature isn't it you need the audience to laugh so you need to bounce those ideas of people and no one gets it right 100% of the time some people get it right 95% of the time and they're brilliant but they still need to check with people it's the name of the game and it's yeah they're, they're like if you collaborate and create a good environment people produce good stuff and having those diversity of like perspectives as well mm. so like you don't just want same people with the same upbringing who've had the same life in the same everything because they'll with the same political leanings everything because it would it doesn't lead to anything but like i mean it can work but like often like you can create so much more exciting stuff if you've got people with different perspectives and different backgrounds and they can check your privilege sometimes or stuff that you think might be a given or a reference that everybody will get they'll be like right. what are you talking about like that is not a common <laughs> experience of the world um yeah i think all oh, good comedy like collaboration is key isn't it i mean we have to encourage the producers at work to be like i remember a new two years ago used to work in our department right he was a producer and then went on to be a star and like we talk about like if you're amanda Inutu, who's your like steve coogan who are you going to find that you're going to develop that relationship with that like writer or performer or writer performer that you're going to like hitch your wagon to and have successful careers. Like, mm. no, like very few create good comedy in isolation. Clever. Yeah. Collaborations, everything. Mm. Fascinating. Thank you very much. Um, and then in terms of what you're actually looking for then, so as a, as a performer and a writer on the outside, Sometimes things can feel like a very closed shop, I suppose. What is it? Are you are you out at stand-up gigs and comedy nights and stuff looking for <clears> stuff? Or are people pitching to you or none of that? Is it just, how does it work? All of that, yeah. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I go watch stand-up pretty often. Um, it's it's still, you know, my favourite thing to go see. It's, you know, when, it, when it's live and it's in a room and it's in a pub, there's a room above a pub and there's 20 people there and there's something in the air is there's nothing like it it's so exciting um when someone's like really like catching something and like really on form it's incredible um so there's a mixture of that and then obviously people email me and pitch ideas um and more and more so like talent like stand-up isn't the be-all and end-all for finding talent anymore like tiktok and instagram and youtube and People are doing incredible stuff online. I mean, particularly during the pandemic, the amount of like people that have become household names that like no one had heard of like pre-March 2020 because they were making stuff in their living room. It's it's quite exciting because stand-up isn't... There's some really funny people out there that stand up, that they just can't do it or it's not for them. So it's a combination of all of them really. And like I say TikTok, I don't quite understand TikTok as much as I <laughs> But like people show me funny TikTok, so it makes its way onto Instagram and I go like there are people doing yes. incredible stuff on there just armed with a phone and like building careers. It's very it's exciting. 
that's interesting as well. And how much then is that changing or will change what the sort of um, audio comedy then? So I think it has been quite a comedian-led thing for a, for a while, hasn't it? Comedians having shows and mm. developing things from their stage show. Um, are we moving to something different? Is, uh, is character study coming back a little bit? I think um, I think that's definitely that would still be the large thrust of audio comedy is comedians, you know, doing their own shows. But like, I mean, like Alistair Green, for example, absolutely blew up in lockdown by doing these. It's just him in a white room, just inhabiting these characters, and it's like he, he was doing well before, but now he's like again, he's a person that like when I say I'm working comedy, people ask about him pretty quickly, being like, "Have you worked with him?" I think it's exciting that people like because stand-up isn't for everyone like mm. and a lot of people like if you can like it's incredibly like tiktokers obviously get you know a lot of criticism but if you could establish a concept and a character and do a joke in less than a minute that's impressive that's impressive to get like with often with very little like in the way of production or props or anything like that it's pure performance it's yeah, I think that's exciting. And I think it's definitely something you want to look more into. Because also a lot of these people have like huge followings. And if you can tap into that audience, that's, you know, incredibly useful and gets audience that, you know, previously not particularly interested in audio or didn't think to listen to it. You can bring those guys over and, you know, who knows, maybe they'll go on to do it themselves. Mm. Great. And then can you compare for me what working in TV was like compared to the audio now and if you've got a preference and and the limitations and advantages of both i suppose yeah i think the things in the pro column for audio is um and i didn't properly realize this until i moved to bbc actually is that like if you produce a show in audio there's the producer there's a production coordinator and that's it so, like, the autonomy you have over... Like, you've got an exec producer that, like, me, that, like, you check scripts with and, like, gives you notes and gives you a steer and can answer any questions you have and stuff like that. But the autonomy you have when you create a show is incredible. Like, it's close to, like, full creativity as you can possibly get, which is amazing because that's mm. kind of what everyone's after, right? Isn't it? <laughs> like, to be, like, master their own destiny and create stuff that they yeah. like and they would listen to. Um so that's that part of it's great and compared to tv which is obviously great um but like because the budgets are a lot higher there's more stakeholders and less you can do and obviously in audio if you want to set a show in space it's very easy in tv it's going to cost you a lot of money to set in space and it not look terrible so like it feels like there's less creative restraints in audio compared to tv mm -hmm. um but tv definitely still has that like prestige and it feels higher profile even if it's not i mean some of the shows we make for radio school get millions of listens and you know they're behemoths and like you know they've been going for years and years and years but like it does still sometimes feel like tv is like oh, you're doing something on TV. Like, it feels like there's, like, that. that's impressive to people. Um, mm. So there's pros and cons to both, I think. It's, I remember, slightly a point, but I remember years ago, uh, do you know the 30 for 30 strands that ESPN do? So it's, like, 
no. like various sports documentaries. Oh, okay. And they have audio teams and they have uh, film teams and they get stories like, you know, Michael Jordan going to play baseball for a season and stuff like that. And they sit and chat about what medium it lends itself to. Like, right. And I thought that was such like a cool way of working. Oh, that that like, sometimes the visuals will tell you everything and you absolutely need to make it a film. And then other times they're like, no, actually we need to speak to these people or it happened in the past and we don't have much footage. And I thought that's such like a interesting approach to ideas, isn't it? To be able to be like, what does this lend itself to? Um, and it's, I don't know how you could replicate that model outside of ESPN to be honest, but like, but yeah, that always seemed like an attractive way of working to me. Yeah. It's sort of, what is the best way of telling the story? It's like it's quite easy to forget those bits, isn't it? Like the whole point should be the story, I suppose. But we allow, you know, so so from my point of view, the limitations of like, well, it's a lot easier to record audio, so like, and cheaper, yeah. and you need less people, so that's a, a reason to do it. But not every story is going to lend itself to that, is it? I suppose. And I think, yeah, I think audio, what it's got up on. And people absolutely can make stuff themselves and put it on YouTube. But it does feel like particularly podcasting has got that kind of anyone can grab a microphone and like start making their podcast tomorrow. And it is it's a meritocracy, isn't it? Yeah. Like good podcast, like, you know, climb to the top and like the podcast called Red Handed, um, which is like a true kind podcast hosted by Hannah and Shruti and like they, I can't remember what jobs they did, but like I think Hannah worked in theatre. I can't remember what Shrews did. Um, they had no experience in podcasting, no experience in broadcasting, and now they've got this huge podcast that millions of people listen to. They tour it over the world, like, and it's purely because it resonated with people. And there were two people recording in their wardrobes and putting it out, and that is exciting. That like people can do that, and people can take the ball by the horns. And with TV, you still need someone's got to commission you someone's got to give you the money someone's got to give you the right slot you've got to have the right marketing machine in place there's like still a lot that's outside of your control in terms of tv whereas audio feels more like anyone can have a go which i think is exciting and it means you get to have more than one go i suppose as well potentially especially if you're making stuff for yourself like if it doesn't work it's all right do something different yeah, exactly. People can have different bites of the cherry. And I guess you can have that with uh, video. You can put stuff on YouTube and, you know, but like still like, I mean, everyone's slaves to the algorithm to an extent, aren't they? I mean, like you still need YouTube to highlight your work. You still need Apple Podcasts to feature you on their homepage. It's still, yeah, I guess we're still at the mercy of that. But um, I do think it's an exciting trend that people can make their own stuff now mm-hmm. and people can make a living without, going to certain tastemakers and going you you are the next famous one i think that's quite exciting it must be similar in music as well right i think so this is one of the questions i was going to come on to actually is this a really good is this a great time to be working in these industries it's it's uh there's two sides to every story isn't there i suppose in my experience with music and with acting and stuff it's like yeah you can make your own thing and it it doesn't matter you're not trying to please as you say those gatekeepers necessarily doesn't matter if they're not playing you on such and such radio station or if you're not in a radio four comedy show you can be doing your own stuff but then on the other hand so can everybody else in the world so i sort of compare it to a band you're not just competing with all the other bands in your city it's every band in the world 
that's ever existed because you're also you know in terms of streaming and with comedy as well you're competing with the whole history of it all all the time so it's but then I suppose on the other hand maybe you don't need millions of people to be really interested in your stuff in the same way anymore maybe you can just have a small but dedicated constituency for your stuff yeah, that's what Stuart Lee said something like that years ago. That like, I can't remember the number he said, but he was like, he needs like ten thousand fans to go watch him every year and pay twenty pounds, and he'll it. have like a great living. Yeah, and you go look, obviously he's got like a lot more than that now, but like it's you don't need hopefully to make a living in comedy and music and all the other things. You don't if you have a small but dedicated following, I mean, there's a lot of podcasts that start Patreons that mm-hmm. like you, they pay five pound a month. And if you have a thousand people paying you five pound a month, you are, you're fine. You're doing great. Yeah. Like, and it, but you, if that's only a thousand people listening, that's great. That's yeah. enough. <laughs> like you, you don't need 10 million to the, make you like, you know, live a good life anymore, which is exciting. I think. I think so. The niches have become more, <laughs> more important, I suppose. Or more viable, and the other thing is, people can be in touch with their fan base or their customers in a way that people, they couldn't before. Yeah, I think yeah, people can be in touch and they can corner out niches, and like people can find their niche. And like before, when you ask, like when you often when you ask people, like what music are you into? Like before, people would give you like you know when we were growing up a genre and be like, I am into indie music, I am into rap music. Now, no one can give you a straightforward answer because with Spotify, you can listen to any type of eclectic music you want. Yeah. And so it's so much harder to be like, I am into this particular thing. But that should be like, you're right that you are competing against <coughs> anyone with a guitar now, right? Like, yeah. that is like a that's time. ever lived as well. That's the thing. But I, I yeah. suppose the other side of that question is what is the role of of something like the BBC in the future, is it going to be as important going forward? I mean, I'm sure you're biased in a way, but as we go forward, those things are still important. Because we could sort of go, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter about being in the mainstream, blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden Netflix or the BBC or ITV will have a massive hit, and it is suddenly something, again, that everybody is talking about. And there's still a yeah. great thing about that, isn't there? But something actually can still become part of the culture. I think so. I think there's room for both, isn't there? There's room for... <clears throat> So um, there's room for people to come up and, you know, do it by themselves and do it really DIY. And there is room for the BBC to make high-end audio comedy and drama or big TV shows or like, people can make stuff off their own back, but not many people can make a David Attenborough documentary, you right. know, from their back garden. Like, there's still, like, there's room for it, isn't there? There's room for both. And I think... What the BBC does, I mean, BBC, like, part of the remit, isn't it, has always tried to cater to everyone's niche. So, like, you can you can listen to Radio 4 Today programme, you can listen to Greg James and Radio 1, you can watch an ad for documentary, you can watch Premier League highlights, you can watch... Uh, they, do you remember BBC four years ago, they had Slow TV, which was just a canal boat going down the, <laughs> going down the yeah. canal? They cater to everyone. So, I mean, they've been kind of catering to everyone's niche for yeah. as long as you remember. But, yeah, I think there's room for both. I think, And I think that's exciting. And I think people can work their way up, you know, doing their own projects and then cross over and do bits for the BBC. And, yeah, I think that's good. 
I'm sorry to interrupt the conversation at this point, but I wondered if I could ask you if you might possibly consider subscribing to the podcast, rating it, and writing a review on your favourite podcast provider. Doing these wonderful things encourages the all-powerful algorithms to push the podcast to new people. It's also helpful when I'm talking to potential future guests, as it shows the people are listening. Thank you. Um, something you'd mentioned earlier, actually, in terms of when you, you write a joke or you hit on something that's very good. Do you know when something's going to be good or do you know when something's going to hit with the, the audience or is it always a bit of a surprise either way? I I think you know. Like, mm. I think you know fairly early doors. I mean, like, I can't think of too many times when I've been surprised by the success or lack thereof of something I've worked on. You know, there are, you know, sometimes you'll be like, you feel like something should be more appreciated, but I mm. think you can tell fairly early doors and you read that first script or you shoot that first scene and you go like, oh, this is, we're onto something here, actually. This this feels good. And likewise, we've all worked on things where you go like, ah, this is not what I imagined. Why is, why is this not working? Because comedy is incredibly difficult. And like particularly when you do stuff without an audience, you kind of... You can, it's your best guess whether you think it's funny and you know hopefully you've got to the point where you know you can identify that stuff but like you I, I do think you you particularly when it's going to be big you go like oh there's something here that person's really good often with like talent you can tell when like oh that person like when they're coming up you go like that person's i don't know what it is but they've got it like they the, the crowd seems to love them they seem to resonate um yeah, I think you can do a fairly accurate, this is going to be big, or this is going to be, this is going to go down with a bit of whimper and no one's going to notice it. And yeah, maybe that's for the best. <laughs> that's interesting. Um, and sort of connected to that, I suppose, you mentioned that if you're doing like a Radio 4 thing, you could be having millions of people tuning into that. And some oh. of the shows you work on, like the, the Now Show, for example, is is a bit of an institution. And sometimes I've spoken to people who work on like... Um, soaps or whatever and people have real ownership over those programs which means that sometimes they don't love everything that you do on them so i was just wondering your sort of in general your approach to criticism um and whether that affects things whether you pay attention to it what's your sort of take on that for yourself but also perhaps for some of the acts and writers and stuff that you've worked with yeah i guess criticism is all about where like where it's coming from right so like i was talking to someone about this the other day like if like when the stand-up sketch i would uh first be on air like i told myself oh i won't read the reviews or go on twitter and then like immediately obviously went on twitter and you know if someone just saying something this is fucking the worst tv ever that's right. not a constructive criticism is it not really. <laughs> <laughs> like, but if it's coming from like someone that loves the now show or whatever and they go you know what i love the now show but I didn't like X part of it, or I don't think this is working. Like, <clears throat> if it's done with the right spirit, I think criticism is useful and helpful. And n- n- none of it's, well, hopefully, none of it's personal. Mm. Like, people are just, you know, giving you their take. I think feedback is crucial to getting better at what you do. I mean, it shouldn't let you guide every decision. You shouldn't go into future producing going like, with that in the back of your head going like, oh, and going against your instincts. But I also think it's important to listen to people if they've got justified criticism. But mm. 
generally those people aren't on Twitter. No. (laughs) (laughs) So it depends what you can tell from where they're coming from, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, I think if people come from like, there's criticism and then there's like attacking something, isn't there? Yeah. And there's like, there's difference to it. Like, and sometimes I've read reviews of stuff I've worked on where like, it's been like a, a lukewarm review and it's kind of annoying at first where you go like, oh, they're right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're right. Um, but at other times, yeah, you read the criticism and you go, I see what you're saying, but I feel differently. And that's okay too. It's You don't have to take on every bit of feedback, but I think shutting yourself off from it isn't the right route either. Mm. Do you think it's different for a writer to a performer? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I mean, generally we're giving feedback and stuff. To, I've not found a method yet that's better than the shit sandwich. You know, compliment, criticism, compliment. <laughs> and like, I think a good, like, a good way to give like criticism and feedback is to offer solutions. So mm-hmm. like, <clears throat> if you're um, reading a script and you go like, oh, this character Robert's written... Um, it's not well-rounded enough like he's, he he sounds like a robot he hasn't got much personality yet i don't say to you he doesn't have any personality yet i go like robert this character what does he want versus what does he need like yeah. what's he interested in and like you you show them the art like you show them solutions rather than you can't do too much with robert this character's not good yeah. like you go like that's not anything you can work with is it no, yeah. like it's so you have to kind of like and it is similar with like performers. You don't go like do that line right. Your character's going to be happy. Be happy now. You go like Robert. Here's what I think your character would be feeling right now. Your character's just you know won the World Cup. They're super excited. I think like there'd be a bit more of like that in their voice. They'd be in a bit more of like an uptick. You find solutions for people as well. And then they don't have to take your solution on board. It just gets them thinking. They're addressing the problem as well. Well, the best way, like, is to let them think they thought of the solution themselves, isn't it? Really, that's a good tactic as well. Yeah, showing them to water. So, yeah, <laughs> some of the best yeah. directors I work with were like had an ability to do that. You'd come and go, oh, you know, we all had fantastic ideas today, and then you think a bit hard and go, oh no, we just did what she wanted us to do, but she she allowed us to think <laughs> we'd all got there. So it's that's not a, an easy skill, but it's great. That's a skill. That's a real skill. That that's. Um... Yeah, that's impressive. We're back to Darren Brandt. Maybe, maybe it's all just mind control. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's all mind control. Oh, I'd have to rethink <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything. You must be a, must be a um, tricky man to be in a relationship, Darren Brown. <laughs> I should think so. Would You're it never be sure? Yeah, <laughs> if it was you or him, like, yeah, it must be. Uh... Is this a friend I... of mine? Yeah. Met him, went to his house, right, and um, it must have been from a TV show he worked on, but he had a life-size realistic looking dead body <laughs> on his sofa Lovely. and he was in his flat and Devin Brown was just like stroking the dead body's head as he was talking to him <laughs> but my friend was so concerned that it was like a like a kind of mind trick that he refused to acknowledge it of course and they were there for like an hour like having this weird back and forth mind game which is amazing that's brilliant you know it's very you have to be british about these things he obviously wants me to mention it so i'm not going to <laughs> i know there's a weird like adversarial like <laughs> element to it they're like i don't know if, it's hard to know whether that was intentional from Devin brown or what he was trying to do and like yeah he must be an unsettling person to like 
be close to like not being able to quite guess what his motives are or what he's trying to do yeah i'm sure he's a lovely fella having said all this like <laughs> and if he wants to work with you on something he only has to send an email and, and you'll definitely say yes because he'll make you yeah exactly darren get in touch <laughs> we'll do something yeah i love him i'd love to do something with him that's very cool um you'd mentioned there about reading stuff actually and giving feedback and that so just a thought that occurred if you'll pitch something at the blue or from one of your someone you work with or whatever can you tell even if it's quite rough and it's got rough edges to it if there's a a germ of a good idea in there or does it am i asking that question correctly i think you know what i mean like could a script be a bit shit but have a really great idea in it that's that's worth pursuing i suppose yeah i think so i think often with like rough scripts like often it's like um structure seems to be like the thing people pick up last right right like there's like there's not in my experience like but like if there's enough in there where you go like oh that character's good or like there's enough good joke writing in there or like that's a good conceit that's enough because the structure stuff i feel like you can teach people like that's fairly straightforward but it's hard to teach someone how to write a good joke or form a good character like you can get people to be better at it Mm. but like i don't think like it feels like a little bit is like it's got to be nature to like write a good joke like you can nurture people but there's got to be there's got to be a funny streak in them somewhere um so yeah i think you can definitely tell and you can tell early like when i was at comedy central i used to read every script we got sent and you can tell within five six pages whether it's going to be good or not it's you you get that instinct quite quickly you always read them all the way through because it's like respectful to do that but like you can tell early on going like no it isn't for me or like oh my god i want to keep going and this is exciting and i like this character and i'm wondering what their motives are and yeah i think you can see a german idea Mm. fairly quickly yeah that's where the collaboration must be a key part as well because just sort of thinking different writers have different strengths but i remember reading a sort of forward to one of the hitchhikers books which i think terry jones is writing he was saying no one really reads douglas adams stuff for the characters really he says apart from marvin but but um it's all about the ideas and you think yeah you can kind of see what i mean so i guess there are some writers who just have great jokes then there might be other writers who have brilliant ideas i mean obviously you want someone who's doing all of it but in in terms of the collaborations like someone who is brilliant on making great characters teamed up with someone who has these amazing ideas i suppose is a really nice combination yeah i think so i think like that's why so many people write in teams right like um because people bring different skill sets and you think about like Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant and stuff like that. And they clearly had like a nice balance and like, it would look like from the outside that like Stephen Merchant perhaps brought a lot of that structure and character development and Ricky Gervais brought the jokes and the performance. And yeah, I think working in Stephen is, yeah, it's infinitely easier to write a script when there's two of you than... I was just curious then, and sort of as you were coming up and interested in comedy and stuff, what were the things that you were watching? What were the big influences or listening oh, to? So many. Uh, first show that, like, obviously, The Simpsons was always, you know, number one, and still to this day, the first eleven series of that show are oh, yeah. wonderful. Um, so that, and my dad used to show me the airplane films a lot with Leslie Nielsen and Naked Gun, and I always. They they hold up those films. Yep. They are still so funny. 
Um, so a lot of that when I was younger, and then I probably got obsessed with it when I was a teenager. And it was that like mid- late nineties, early two thousands boom of like The Office and Alan Partridge and Ali G and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and just like all of that like was such an exciting time there's so many brilliant shows and peep show and all of that in late years there's a lot of american comedy it was tina fey and amy poehler and it's always sunny in philadelphia um and nathan for you a lot of um yeah a lot of american comedy but um definitely the office was like the first time i remember being like i remember waiting for the christmas special and like that being like an exciting moment. And I don't know why. I mean, it was set, you know, not far from my house, but I don't know why as a 14 year old boy, I resonated so much with a 40 year old man having a midlife crisis and a breakdown, but I really did. <laughs> and that's interesting, that, isn't it? It was just, it was very real in some way, wasn't it? I suppose. Because my, 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 Dad had worked in offices, so he he knew it was real because he'd worked it, and I hadn't because I was obviously too young. But you could just see that those characters were very real. I don't know what it was. It's you said, the thing about I heard Ricky Gervais get interviewed about it the other day, and like when you when you put David Brent as a character as someone that just wants to be loved, your idea of David Brent changes completely yeah and like you're like and it's, i don't know if that's something i well i definitely didn't notice it when i was a kid but like watching it back now because i still watch it back fairly frequently it completely like before those moments like, and they still make you cringe but like you're just like oh man like <laughs> he's trying so hard like you kind of start to like resent the other people in the office for not being more like come on like he's trying to make you laugh like he's, he's yeah, working yeah. hard here like and obviously he's kind of clumsy and falls over stuff and says a few um pc bits but it all comes from this absolute desire to be like loved and accepted and like it was a big thing back then wasn't it because they did a lot of those kind of like do you remember that documentary airport and it's like a lot of people that like are doing ordinary things that want to be extraordinary like and they want to be famous and he tapped into that so well with that show it's interesting way because a lot of those things that you've referenced sort of to my mind have a have a link to that whole thing of niches because they were like spaced and peep show and stuff they're obviously on mainstream channels with big audiences but they were kind of a niche cults an overused word but they were their own thing and if you were a fan of that then you were part of a little gang and they were all characters kind of about losers as well which was appealing I yeah think. I think that, uh, yeah, almost every good comedy character's a loser, isn't it? Almost every joke, almost every joke is steeped in disappointment. Like, <laughs> I was expecting one thing, but what I got was actually worse. Like, that's the formula <laughs> of so many jokes. And Peep Show in particular is, like, I was talking about that earlier, like, because you could hear their thoughts, that's such a useful device for, like, when Jez does something mad or, like, uh, you know, takes a bite off the dog's leg when they burn the dog and stuff like that. Like, because you can hear his thought process, you can justify everything. So, like, imagine how that would operate if you couldn't hear what he's doing. You'd be like, why is he doing that? That's he's a psychopath. So odd. What's like, it makes no him? sense. You couldn't, it would be hard to get on board with the characters. But, like, because you've got that narrative device, and it's also, it's just such a, I say easy, like, so it's an amazing, brilliant, well written show. But, like, if you have Jez going, Yes, and then you can hear him go, no! Like, that's just such a funny, like, juxtaposition always. It was a really, 
a clever show and it stands up if you watch it now mm. it's i mean it's i love those like I, that's a bit of a trend and i think it's like a positive thing mostly but like for like people like comedy characters at the moment who are nice people like ted lasso is very popular because it seems like a nice guy just trying his best but for me i've always gravitated towards people with these gaping personality flaws <laughs> that, that that like are the worst versions of themselves but like for some reason you still root for them i think to be able to do a succession's built on that isn't it yeah. like they're all detestable horrible characters but apart they're compelling and you want to you want to see them get their comeuppance it's it's always sunny in philadelphia it is four or five five losers constantly getting their comeuppance and doing horrible things to people mm. Great. Okay, Pete, that's excellent. Thank you so much. That's been really fascinating. Um, is there anything in particular that people should be listening out for that's stuff that you've worked on recently? I think go on BBC Sounds um, and it's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and stuff like that. There was a show called BBC Radio Fjord, which is a sitcom I produced recently. Um, everyone go listen to it. It's very good. It was written by Will Hislop and Barney Fishwick. Um, it's brilliant. It's really funny. It's yeah. You've got. I, I, I would explain it, but it kind of. I think you've got to listen to it for it. To, uh, yeah, really hit home. Um, and we're, really all about, we're all about a pun title as well. Like I, I love that. Yeah, man. Like, we love a pun. Um, um, have you watched Hall it, Raisers? No. Great. Like a good pun again, but actually very, very, very funny. Like I've really. I'll give that it. a go. Yeah, listen to that, and then. Um, research spelled r-h-y-s-e-a-r-c-h that was the uh award worthy um but didn't win an award last night show <laughs> nearly um, award worthy <laughs> yeah it's yeah award worthy yeah um yeah go listen to those and then write to radio forum say can we make more please great thanks so much pete take care switch you soon Cheers, Rob. Thanks, you, mate. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Join us next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast. Until then, please subscribe, rate and review, and have a look at robertlanemusic.co.uk to see the other projects I'm working on. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.